Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I just found out about a new app, which is surprisingly the first of its kind, and I thought it was such a good idea. I mean, there is an app for just about everything, from identifying constellations in the sky to getting someone to help you hang a picture up on the wall. But until now, oddly, there has not been a single parent's dating app. And it's such a good idea. So Stir is a place where single parents can just be single. Stir is where you're excited to share on your first date that you have a daughter in third grade. And Stir is where you don't have to apologize for having a crazy schedule. Stir is the app designed for parents who just happen to be single. So download Stir or tell your single friends to try it out. It's so hard to be a single parent and it's so nice to have an app that can support you to meet someone and find a match. It's free to join and to connect with others and it has a unique feature called Stir Time that helps coordinate your busy schedule up front and streamline scheduling a date. So only a dating app for single parents would understand that even just streamlining how you can schedule a date is valuable. It's hard enough to find a date night with your co-parent that you are married to or living with, let alone finding a date with somebody when you don't have a partner. And finding a partner who understands the emotional and parental responsibilities of being a single parent is hard. So STIR is there to create a welcoming space where single parents can just be themselves. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman. It happens to all of us. You've prepared for days or weeks or months, and you are going to give that presentation, have that performance, play in that game, take that test. You think you've got it down, and then you choke. What is happening when that goes on? And what are ways to learn from it, to avoid it, and to support our kids? so that they can move through that and redirect their efforts and energy to thrive. And that is the premise of this conversation and also a book that Dr. Sian Bailak, the president of Barnard College and cognitive psychologist and professor, wrote called Choke. Our conversation is about stress, performance, anxiety, understanding what It means to be in a brave space and to take risks academically, intellectually, emotionally, and how we can best support our kids so that they can move through these moments and help get it right when we need to. 
Thank you for listening. And of course, if you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a review. You can always DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. Sign up for my bulletin, draliza.bulletin.com. I'm here for all of it. And hopefully I can get back to you in different ways, whether it's through the episode topics, listener Q&As, Instagram reels or stories or on my newsletter. So I want to focus on the disconnect between how we understand stress when it's good and how we understand stress when it's bad and how that impacts performance. That's it. (laughs) Just that small thing. So can you just (laughs) define stress? Well, when I talk about anxiety, I'm talking about both a, a, a cognitive sort of feeling of worry. And you can have that also as a physiological state where your body is having a negative reaction to something. And both oftentimes both of those come together to be what we talk about as stress. And can you help everyone distinguish kind of the good stress and the bad stress and how that impacts our choices? And then we can go into the more specifics on motivation. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I think we tend to think, oh, there's good stress and bad stress. Oftentimes it's the same sort of bodily response and it's how we interpret it. So, you know, when you have sweaty palms and a beating heart, if you're getting ready to take a test or you're worried about speaking in front of other people, you know, you interpret that as a sign you're about to fail and that's not fun. But it turns out those same sweaty palms and beating harder there when you're really excited, you know, when you're getting proposed to it, you're, you're at a surprise party, something fun. And so a lot of my research has been focused on how we help people reinterpret those bodily signals. And we've actually shown that when people start to think about them differently, like that beating heart isn't a sign that you're about to fail. It's actually really important. It's shunting blood to your brain so you can think people actually perform better. What language would you use to explain this concept to, let's just say, an early school-age child and, and move it on up through adolescence to help redirect or, or reinterpret these responses so that they can focus more on, I don't want to say performance in the, I, I don't want to fixate on performance, but I do think it does help performance. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is like, the goal is not to always feel safe or it's okay to feel uncomfortable. Like that's part of life, right? So I talked to my 11 year old a lot about that. And then oftentimes it's how you think about it, right? So if you feel like your body is, you know, or you get the sense that you're, you're like, you're worried about something like, it's okay. Like, that's not a bad thing. We're not trying to always be in a safe space. Like we at Barnard and actually in my house, I talk a lot about being in a brave space instead of a safe space. Like the whole idea is to be okay, like pushing in ways that you wouldn't otherwise do. It's okay if things are a little anxiety provoking. It's okay if you're worried. The key is, you know, what you do with it, right? And so, you know, what's one, you know, you're going to a new play date or a new school or doing something you haven't done and there are all these unknowns. We know that when there's unknowns, humans worry, like we crave certainty. So, you know, that's okay. But what's one thing you can control? Like, what's that one thing? Maybe you know one person there or, 
you know something that's going to happen during the day. And it turns out that even focusing on what you can control in that way can be really helpful for changing our response and our view of a situation. So you said something very important that I just want to echo a million times for everybody is that uncomfortable, to feel uncomfortable is not a problem. (laughs) No, I mean, part of life and we have to get that feeling sometimes protective, right? I mean, to be honest, if we had no stress, we'd be dead, right? I mean, there's part of what we do, that stress allows us to get out of bed in the morning, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. not a negative thing. You know, what, what I think parents and all of us are trying to do is figure out how we use it to our advantage. And we don't want to be in situations where it's always making us feel really bad. And part of that we have control over. And so I think for parents understanding that the goal is not always to make kids feel comfortable, like that it's part of it is helping them be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And when you, how do you see this rearing its head in, for example, you're about to take a math test? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, oftentimes students view, especially in something like math, where there is this really erroneous view that you're either a math person or not, which we know from research is just not true you're good at math because you work at it, right? That's how it works. And so oftentimes students, when they go into these situations and they feel this, you know, worried about it, they interpret that as that they just don't have what it takes. And so for parents, something that's really important here is to constantly stress that the way that you're good at something and the way you get good at something like math is by doing the work and by practicing in the right ways. And whether you're successful or not, It's not that when you're successful, you're a math genius. It's that you've worked in the right way. And when you fail, it's not that you're not able, you're just not a math person. It's that you haven't figured out the right way to learn it or study it. And so really focusing on that is is very important. Okay, so I'm going to do a role play with you of before a math test, after the math, the exam gets turned back in. Beforehand, I'm the kid, I'm your 11-year-old, and I say, I'm never going to be able to pass this test. I don't know anything about math. I can't do it. I would say, well, look, you, I know it's nervous walking into a test. That's totally normal. Remember we studied and you did well on the practice problems and you've got, you know, the facts, you've, you've really worked hard at this and, you know, go in and do your best. And frankly, if you don't do well, it's not the end of the world. We'll figure out how to study differently. But I can, you know, I can see that you've worked hard to get to this spot. I know that you know what's going on in the test. I think you'll do fine. Okay. And just to add to that, my, I'm, I'm breathing heavily and my palms are sweaty. What do I do? <laughs> and remember, like, that's really important. If you weren't doing that, you you actually wouldn't be as focused as you need to be. That that heavy breathing and all of what's going on in your body is helping you get ready and focus for what lies ahead. So you're ready to go. I think that's a good sign. And now the test comes back. Your daughter runs home and she says, I got an A. What do you say? I really certainly don't say, oh, you're a math genius. I say like, look, remember we practiced and you got the practice problems right. And, and we worked on those and that's why. One of the things that you can speak to is growth mindset to help parents understand what you're building in that one interaction that we just, we did such great improv work doing 
<laughs> the 11 year old and the mother supporting growth mindset. And I just thought maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. It's, it's funny. My 11 year old is like, always like, stop giving me the effort talk. I get it. I get it. <laughs> my kids do the same thing. Like, uh. <laughs> but I, I think it's most important. <laughs> I think it's most important to be focused on that when they succeed, because it, you know, we know from all of Carol Dweck's work that kids and adults are more likely to take on challenges when they're not worried that how they perform is a reflection of who they are as a person or if they have it or not. And so the whole idea is to create a situation where failure is okay and where it's not indicative of who you are. And that goes back to the brave space idea that, you know, it's okay to say the wrong thing, that that's not indicative of, of all of your views. That's how you learn and get better. And so that, I mean, I think especially around math that has, tends to carry this sort of weight with it, that you have it or you don't, that boys are better than girls, that, you know, all sorts of things that come into it that just are have no underlying validity in terms of the claims, parents and what they say really matters. And whether it's making sure that you connect success to the work they did and also not saying things about yourself. We hear all the time, you know, oh, I'm not a math person. From really highly intelligent people, you don't hear people walk around saying, oh, I'm not a reading person. Like, that's not okay. And so, but that sends, if a mom is saying that to her daughter, that sends such a strong signal that you, two things. One is that women tend to not be good at math. And the second is that this is something you have or you don't. And it turns out those signals really matter. We can trace, in my research, we've traced it from anxiety teachers have to how their students perform in math across the school year, and also the anxiety parents have to how their kids perform in math across the school year. So it's these subtle things that adults do can have big effects. Adults have a lot of power, and maybe that's scary, but it's also really, I think, valuable because it means that there's simple things we can do to, to shape how our kids think about really important aspects of their life, like math and, and STEM and science. I know that it does sound scary when we think we have this, we, we can actually have an impact, but we, since we can't control anything but ourselves, I find it quite heartening that there's actually an impact if we are conscious about the language that we use and the spaces that we set up, because you can't force your school to do that or your friends or your mother-in-law, but you can with yourself. So I, I, I think it's big and scary on the one hand, on the other hand, it's like, okay, well, at least I can control something, which is what comes out of my mouth on a good day. It's not even the words. It's like how much you value it. So there's really interesting research showing that when parents value something more, when they think math and science is more important for success in life, and that probably comes out in lots of ways in terms of what they say, their high school students are more likely to want to take more advanced science classes. The people around kids really matter. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. Parallel is one of my sponsors, and I love it because it is taking prenatal vitamins and perinatal vitamins and offering such targeted nutrition for each unique stage of motherhood. Not just a one size fits each trimester approach. They have vitamin packs for anyone trying to conceive each individual trimester of pregnancy because baby and mom have different nutritional needs throughout each stage. 
and a product for postpartum and early motherhood. And most importantly, each product is meticulously formulated. There is no garbage in it. Each product is approved by world-class doctors that are widely published in maternal fetal medicine and award-winning fertility doctors, OBGYNs. And their mom multi-support pack is such an incredible product. I wish I had had it during postpartum and all those early days of motherhood because it can be taken through the postpartum phase. It's safe for breastfeeding and up to five years after birth. And it just offers moms the extra nutritional support they absolutely need to rebuild their nutrient stores and support them in the stress and beauty departments too, which is important during such a physically demanding stage of life. Each parallel pack comes with a 30-day supply of vitamins that are all, bless their hearts, conveniently bundled together into a recyclable daily packet that you can take on the go anywhere, anytime that just is so much easier for busy moms. And with Parallel, you get everything you need for under $48 per month. So exclusively for Raising Good Humans listeners, Parallel is offering 15% off your first three months of Parallel with the code HUMANS15. Head to parallel.co, that's P-E-R-E-L-E-L dot C-O. And if you don't love it, you can cancel anytime with a 30-day money-back guarantee. I want to talk about how to set up a brave space more concretely because the concept is beautiful. But how? what are some easy ways that parents can sort of shift the culture in the household to set up brave spaces? I mean, I think one of the best ways is to model it themselves. So when parents mess up, to call themselves out and to talk about, you know, yeah, like I really made the wrong decision or I didn't say something right or, you know, I, parents aren't always perfect in terms of how they parent. And I'm going to learn from this or I'm going to do it differently. You know, being able to model like making mistakes and getting on the right track is really important. I think so much of it comes from from seeing others do it. And then also pointing it out, I think, outside the house, whether it's in the media or other places, like, you know, we often look at people who are really successful and think, oh, that was such a linear trajectory. They were perfect in getting there. And we know, especially girls and women tend to have this sort of focus on perfectionism and not making mistakes. And so modeling that in whatever way you can, pointing it out that, you know, someone who's leading the country or you know, some star and some had a lot of failures before they got to where they are. Pointing those things out and making them really salient, I think is helpful. I wonder if we can talk about how that supports not perfectionism, but supports as an antidote to perfectionism so that you can be motivated and you can push yourself and you can grow. And that is so much easier when you don't have the, when you're when you're not fraught with perfectionism, but I do think that there is a, a sense deep down, especially with girls, and I don't know that we need to go into those girls and perfectionism, but I wouldn't mind just talking about for parents, because I think we know if you're listening to this podcast on parenting, there's a good chance you're not not a perfectionist. <laughs> right? Like you're, <laughs> you're taking the time to think about how best to support your kid and how to connect with your child, how to be the best parent you can be. There's a risk that, you know, 
we all want to be perfect parents, which we can't be. But I really would love to talk about how you can motivate and work hard and do well without trapping yourself in perfectionism. Yeah. Well, I think let's make a distinction between wanting to learn, being having a developmental mindset, right? And trying to be perfect. And I think it's really important to make that distinction because if you're listening to this podcast, you understand you don't know how to do everything and you like the idea of learning more and getting tools, right? And so I think that's really important. And then also understanding that as women, for example, we tend to, on average, not everyone, but on average, tend to be more risk averse in terms of putting our foot forward in certain situations or in terms of valuing our ability to succeed. So the one example I like of this that I think is really easy to understand is that women are less likely to apply for a job if they don't have than men, if they don't have all the qualifications, right? And so that's a really good example of sort of holding yourself back or thinking that you don't have what it takes. And so just understanding that that's there and it could be there and then learning how to move across that, maybe being a little more compassionate with yourself, trying not to be your own worst critic as a parent or in whatever you do. I think that's empowering in itself. You know what just comes to mind? And I'm so curious what you think because you have the cognitive science scientist hat and you're the president of Barnard. And I wonder how you think about you know, as we're supporting our kids and they're, you know, getting their tests back and they get an A minus, for example, and it's not about the great, by the way, an A minus is great. So I'm, but, but I'm (laughs) I'm specifying A minus versus A because I've seen time and again, kids freaking out because they did so terribly. And then the the terribly, that this terrible grade was an A minus. And I, it's, it's really upsetting. And yet when they're applying for colleges, they're thinking very realistically in their minds about GPA and achievement and all of these things. And I wonder how do you come to terms with allowing kids to learn from their mistakes and to grow their brains and to figure out the strategic way of studying if they didn't do as well as they had hoped for. And also that their grades starting in ninth, of course, so there's a, you know, you get time to practice, but that their grades are still going to matter. And I don't even know, you know, this feels like a much longer conversation and maybe it's not, if you don't want to have it, you just cancel it. But I, you know, I, I, I have girls at a girl's school and I, I'm so used to this conversation but I, I just realized like what an interesting idea that the president of Barnard is also a cognitive scientist. It blows my mind because you sit there knowing about all of the ways that our brains, you know, work and also not wanting, you know, knowing that we want girls to shatter the glass ceiling and to take risks, but taking a risk means you might not get an A, but how do you get into Barnard if you don't get an A? I wonder how that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great question. First, I don't have to decide who's coming to Barnard. I have some whole group of people, (laughs) but you know, Barnard is really looks at people holistically. Like Mm -hmm. we're certainly looking for a great track record of academic achievement, but you know, I think our admissions team are looking for young women with voices who, you know, who have challenged different norms or who have thought differently or who are interested in doing that. And that could very well mean trying something that you aren't necessarily 
well-versed in and not doing well and learning from it and figuring out what's next. And one of the things I love about Barnard is that if for classes that aren't in your major, you have a certain number you can take pass, no pass, or like so that you don't have a grade. And I always, I think that is so special because the whole idea is to expand your your mindset. I always talk about how the liberal arts is about teaching students how to think, not what to think. And that certainly involves stretching. Like I remember taking a physics of the universe class. I was, you know, cognitive science, more neuroscience major. And I took it past no pass. And then I took a history of California class. And I just was like blown away. I, those are the classes I remember. Wow. And you didn't have to think about your grades, but you were just pursuing your intellectual interests. And I was just interested. Yeah. As your child is developing, what are some things that you might say as you see, and, and do you see a difference in performance when kids are internally motivated versus doing it for the grade? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of work showing that when it's just external rewards, kids are not as focused, don't learn as much, might not necessarily be as likely to take challenges. And I think it's really important to balance that, you know, look, grades are a reality, they're important, but they're not everything. And so parents can play a big role in, in helping to focus on that. And, you know, so can schools. And I don't, no one has it perfect yet, but I can tell you that the grade someone got in ninth grade math is not going to dictate the rest of their life. And that sentence alone is probably important for us as parents to remember when kids start to lose sight of, of perspective. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. I am a when you know more, you can do more kind of person. And if you could use science to discover more about your body, why not? So find out what you need for your healthier tomorrow with EverlyWell. EverlyWell is digital healthcare designed for you, all at an affordable and transparent price. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you'll be able to choose the tests that make the most sense for you to get the answers you need, like the women's health test or a food sensitivity test. So this is how it works. Everlywell ships to your home a lab test right to you with everything you need for a simple sample collection. You collect your sample and use the included prepaid shipping label. I mean, they thought of everything to mail your test back to a certified lab. Your physician reviewed results get sent to your phone or device in days. And you can share the results with your primary care physician to help guide the next steps of your care. It is so simple over a million people have trusted EverlyWell to support their health and wellness goals, and you should too. I just did the food sensitivity test because there are just certain times when I feel like I don't feel right after I eat certain foods, but I don't have any understanding of what that is. And EverlyWell was able to help me figure out what I'm sensitive to and what I want to avoid and add more of in my life. EverlyWell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash humans. That's everlywell.com slash humans for 20% off at your next home lab test. everlywell.com slash humans. They have so many cool things from food sensitivity to metabolism to hormone levels. Check it out, everlywell.com slash humans. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Coterie. Coterie makes hands down the softest, 
diapers on the planet with up to two times more liquid capacity and four times faster moisture wicking versus any other brand. They've been awarded the best diaper and wipes by both the Bump and Parents.com. And they are made with the cleanest ingredients for your precious baby. Go to Coterie, C-O-T-E-R-I-E dot com slash humans for 20% off and free shipping. This is the absolute most luxurious diaper. It feels so soft. I can't believe it didn't exist when I had babies. Can you talk a little bit about choke? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I study is why people sometimes don't perform their best when they want to, when there's a lot of pressure to perform well. And often what we see is that one of the big reasons is that people actually haven't practiced and gotten ready for the high pressure situation. So you might read over a speech or read over the book, but you're not doing practice problems. You're not doing what you're actually going to do in the performance situation. So people often say I choked. And for me, many times I think, well, I actually don't think they were ready. I don't, I'm not sure it was choking. I don't know that they practiced the right way. And so one of the biggest tips I give is really to sort of mimic what you're going to do in the actual situation. If your kid is going to take their first standardized test, what's happening in school or in other places where they're practicing taking it? We know that when people are anxious about math, for example, this is great work by one of my postdocs, Julisha Jennifer, that people who are anxious about math tend to do when they're practicing for a test, less hard practice problems. So they don't want to feel uncomfortable. So they don't do the practice problems. And how do you get a good grade on a test? You do the practice problems. So really thinking about how you study and how you prepare, I think is one of the undervalued keys to success. So would that mean if you're giving a speech, for example, and you know that the setting is going to be one way, that practicing the speech in the comfort of your home in front of a mirror and knowing it perfectly is not going to help prep you in the same way as finding more uncomfortable settings to practice in front of so that the day of you don't choke? Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the brave space, right? Creating those uncomfortable spaces so they're not as uncomfortable when you're actually in. And that is interesting because when you think about it, I'm just thinking about speeches again. If you're, you know, getting uncomfortable, getting comfortable with discomfort, it's not just on providing those opportunities for our kids, but we have to then sit with that uncomfortable feeling of watching our kids potentially choke, but that's in the service of getting them better at it. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and kids know when we're uncomfortable about it. They're smart. So, right. And so if your kid comes home and they said they choked, what kinds of responses are more productive versus less productive? You know, I mean, first, I think, under like standing and validating that they have these feelings is, is important, right? That, that I'm really sorry. It's, it's, you know, really not fun to feel like this. This has happened to me before. Let's go back and try and understand, like, how did you prepare? Did we prepare in the right way? Maybe there's something there. And also just remember, like one performance is not indicative of the rest of your life. So here are all these situations where you don't choke, right? So how do we try and think about how we can mimic that? to get you ready for the next situation. So I think it's important to understand and validate and empathize with their feelings, but then really helping them recreate the narrative. Does it seem like in our attempts to support our kids, we remove barriers that might elevate their heart rate and make their palms sweaty so they are set up for less 
performance anxiety? Yeah, I mean, well, you might know this better than I do, but I think, you know, you hear this sort of criticism of the helicopter or lawnmower parenting is that when kids get out into the world, they haven't had any of those roadblocks and don't know how to deal with them. So I'm a big fan of letting some of that uncomfortableness happen. And then, you know, are there things that you say, like at the beginning of summer, what's one challenge that you'll take on? What's one thing that you might do to, I'm just trying to think of different ways we can, and it doesn't really matter what the challenge is, but I know for, for me, that's, that's a fun one for the summer or even for the beginning of the school year is, you know, you each individual family member can take on one challenge, but that challenge for me might be that I'm going to learn how to parallel park. And for another person, it might be, I don't know why I thought of that, but I did fail my driver's test, not once or twice, <laughs> three times from parallel parking. And it's really a shame that I have for life. And then I just gave up after that, but I did pass. <laughs> but then I never, par- yeah. I truly avoided parallel parking for the rest of my life. So taking on one challenge for each individual in the household, and it may be quite small, but it just makes you uncomfortable. Is, is that are there any? I love that. I, I mean, I think that's great. And also mirroring that everyone is learning. It's not like an, an adult and there aren't, you don't have challenges. Right. We, yeah. we, we didn't forget. So now if a parent is in a situation where they're like, I'm, I'm not doing that, it's freaking me out, or I'm not a math person, ask someone else. Those moments matter. Those moments really matter. They really matter. Okay. So that is, I think, heartening. I hope everybody else does because in this world with no certainty, (laughs) having your own small ways of taking on challenges, influencing your kids and supporting them is, I don't know, it's, it feels so hopeful. I love it. And like a little bit of control, a little bit of control. My gosh, who doesn't (laughs) want that right now? 